0: Let's bow our heads as we go before our Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, you search our hearts. Uh, You know where we are in our faith journey with you. Uh, You know the battles that we are fighting, uh, the temptations we face. And so I pray that you would just give us that extra measure of your spirit, uh, Lord, that we would not live a life uh, in fear and timidity, but that we would be bold witnesses for you, our Lord and Savior, uh, and use this reflection uh, to encourage, inspire, uh, and send us as we are loved by you and sent by you, all to be about your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Loved and sent, given a mission. That's what we are going to be reflecting on as we wrap up this sermon series called uh, Reopening Christianity. We're going to look at the last question um, that we've been reflecting on, but it's really in the study, uh, the third question uh, in chapter three. It's called, am I playing offense or defense? And when I think of uh, offense and defense, I, I often think of our nation's military. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is because in our modern history, in our modern military history we have experienced certain freedoms because of what men and women have been willing to do men and women like these that are pictured on the screen here just young kids if you would Uh, getting set to declare uh, a set of words right here in in a swearing in ceremony and these are the words that they say Um, says I and then they state their name do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies foreign and domestic and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that I will obey the orders of the president of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the uniform code of military justice so help me God they're 18, 19, maybe 20 years old a lot of them uh, and and I wonder do they understand as they're standing there what they're actually saying do they understand the accountability that they will be held to uh, as they signed basically their life saying, yes, I want my life to be one of service? Do they understand fully? No. They've never been thrown into harm's way the way that they might or that they're saying that they'd willing to go. Some of them are going to face dangerous service and some of them will probably pay that ultimate price as they lay their life down to defend our nation against threats foreign and domestic. And next weekend, Memorial Day weekend, we celebrate and we give thanks to uh, our Lord for the gift of those men and women that did lay down and pay that ultimate price, that sacrifice, so that we could have freedom and live in that freedom. we get to live in that freedom as Christians all to God's glory as well and so that's what we're going to be reflecting on now as we have this freedom that we've been given in this great nation as God gives us freedom over our sins and and temptation and the devil um, how do we go about living our life right are we bold for Christ and that's what Peter attempts to do and I'm going to set the stage here just a little bit uh if you would picture uh Caesarea Philippi um it's kind of a cliffy region and there's a valley floor where people are probably gathered and commentators say this is probably what Jesus did because Jesus is a, a teacher and he uses oftentimes visuals to help his teacher uh, students understand what's happening. So he's probably on an elevated position with his disciples. Looking down at this valley floor, maybe people gathered from all walks of life, this gentile region Caesarea Philippi and he asks the question who do people say that I am and then the disciples say they say a bunch of different things Jesus and then he looks at his disciples his group that he's with his band of brothers and sisters and he says who do you say that I am and Peter boldly says, you're the Christ. And, and I have to wonder, and, and you probably know, does, does Peter truly understand what he's saying as he's making that bold confession? No, we know that. Because in just a few short verses, he puts his foot in his mouth and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Uh, and that's what he does. Does Peter understand that this is what Jesus came to do? From Philippians? We have these section of scriptures. Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. I'm going to pause it there for just a second. right? Jesus could have very easily just stayed up in heaven. God the the father could have just said as he looks down at creation and and goes why do I want to mess with these people he could have very easily done that we the human race marring God's beautiful creation with our sin with our, our ways of doing things that go against God and we do it repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly God could have very easily stayed up there and the safety and the comfort and the protection of heaven and paradise and yet he did not he sent his son who being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used he was made in human likeness and in verse 8 there it says being found in a human appearance as man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross and then in verse 9 so God exalts him To the highest place and gives them a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ to the glory of God the Father. You realize this will happen, right? There will be a time when we are all standing before our heavenly Father. And we will be kneeling. And we will be boldly professing you are the Lord. And there will be some who recognize He is the Lord. And Jesus will separate the believer and the non-believer. The believer will enter into paradise. The non-believer enter eternal damnation. This will happen. God's given us that promise. Does our soul ache? Does our soul, church, you've been given a gift of faith. Does your soul, does your heart break for the unchurched? For the people who do not feel like they have a place here? Does your heart ache for the people who are far from God? I pray it does. Because the only reason why you have faith is because God has given you his gift, this gift that we celebrate of the Holy Spirit. He's given you his gift, his faith, and he's working in your heart so that you can boldly profess like Jesus, uh, Peter did that Jesus is the Christ. Did Peter understand it? No. He didn't. Did he mess up repeatedly? He messed up. But I believe those stories, those are accounts, are in the scripture so that you and I realize that it's not about our being perfect, but it is about our being faithful to the call and the mission that God has given to you and to me. As a believer, uniquely gifted with certain blessings so that we can make an impact in our lives, to the glory of God the Father, for the sake of those who do not yet know Christ. I think about that. Every year, when we over in the sanctuary have young kids, kids, eighth graders, Basically, standing before their family and their friends and before their Lord, and they're reading a statement of faith, and every one of them are terrified because they're public speaking and it's maybe their first time actually saying something in public. And as they're doing that, they're saying these words I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And the nerves are there because they don't want to get it wrong, they don't want to mess up, they don't want to look foolish in front of their peers. And the whole time, we as adults, and we look at these kids making this statement, and then a little later in the week, uh, on Palm Sunday, they actually say, Lord, I want to follow you all my life, and I'd rather die than fall away from the faith. That's the, the confirmation service that we do as Lutheran Christians, where basically eighth grade students are taking ownership of their faith. And do they understand it? Parents, do you understand what your kids are doing? And the responsibility that we have as as adults to nurture and grow that faith, to, to use our time of teaching, because I've been wondering about this, because a ninth grader and a tenth grader who cannot yet drive and cannot intentionally, unless they walk to church on their own, get here. So we as the adults in their life need to do everything that we can. We get to do everything that we can to embolden and empower and bring them into God's house for worship so they can grow in their faith because they're going to hit high school, they're going to hit college, they're going to hit lie after lie after lie that's going to be leveled at them by a culture that wants to see Christian values destroyed. And we can be praying for them because those kids do not understand what they're saying. Just like you and I Really do not understand. Lord, I want to follow you all my days. I'd rather die than fall away from the faith. Shoot, we struggle to die to ourselves when temptation comes our way. We run after it. Oh, this feels good. Whoops, God saw me. Lord, I messed up. You know temptation is going to come your way. What do you have in place? Are you just going to insulate yourself against everything in the world and just say, please, temptation don't come? No. That's not the life of a Christian. When temptation comes, we have the power of the Holy Spirit where we can say the same things that Jesus taught his disciples. Get behind me, Satan. You and I have the spirit of the risen Christ living within us. We do not need to insulate ourselves against the things of the culture. We can engage the culture, and that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus was doing on that preface, that cliff with his disciples. He was basically looking at his band of brothers and sisters, and he was saying, Peter, I delight in you, Peter. Peter. And that confession that you just made. And it's upon this confession, it's upon this rock, Petros, that I'm going to build my church. And here's what was happening. Jesus being a visual teacher. In that valley floor at Caesarea Philippi, there's actually a cave. And you can Google pictures of it. and You can see kind of this entrance to this cave. And people in their culture and that day thought that's where the gates of hell were. And Jesus is basically using this teaching moment, intentionally using this teaching moment to teach his church that they're going to have power. The power of the risen Christ. And that fact that Jesus is Lord and Savior, that confession, not even the gates of hell are going to be able to overpower it. And that's great news for you and for me. Not even the gates of hell can withstand the confession that Jesus is Christ and Jesus put that power in our hearts? Praise God for that. We have the risen Christ living and dwelling and breathing within us. And so we don't need to insulate ourselves against the culture. We engage the culture. Jesus was engaging the teaching of the time. And you and I can engage the teachings of the time. And I am so grateful for Pastor Brad's sermon last week when he talked a little bit about how the church is known for what we're for or what we're against and we need to be in the business of of what we're for. Because the culture wants to call us in in, in one way of describing it, a country club. Where we gather with like-minded and people who look like us and act like us. And if you don't, please, you're not really welcome here. That's what the culture sees us as. And that's not our hearts at all. But that's what the culture sees so we need to be different out there, right? That's what Pastor Brad was saying last week. We're not a country club. We're not a hospital where people gather, for they're sick, and some have said, you only go to church if you need a crutch. And, and some are so strong and so full of themselves that I don't need that kind of a crutch. But the reality is, we're not a country club, and we are not a hospital We're a hospice, end of life, terminal illness. You and I have it. Every single one of us have a terminal illness and we are not guaranteed tomorrow. In this community, just this past Wednesday, we buried a good friend uh, to many of you. Who in the last stages of a pancreatic cancer battle... (laughs) through the power of the Holy Spirit, lived 24-hour increments. He didn't worry about tomorrow. He didn't worry about yesterday. He worried about now. And at his funeral, where there were 750 gathered in person, and many from all over the world watching, Jesus was proclaimed. The hope of the resurrection was proclaimed. And thank you, Lord, for that gift. That's the same hope that we have. Because just as Greg was going to be with his Lord, I I kept hearing leaders here within this community say, boy, I wish I had what he had. (laughs) You do. You do. We live in 24-hour increments. We live for now in the gift that God has given us. We live with hope, knowing that that hope even defeats death, and death will not hold us. Do we fully understand it? No. We will fully understand it when we are face-to-face with our Lord uh, in in paradise. And that's just a, a beautiful thing that we can look forward to. What do we do in the meantime? We don't insulate ourselves against the world. We engage the world. We meet the world where the world is at. And if you are invited in to someone's story, you show up. You show up because you've been given a gift in the midst of their chaos, in the midst of their storm, to just be in the presence. And we seek and we pray for opportunities to be a reflection of God's light and love. And where we have opportunity, we share the good news of Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen from the dead for all people. That's the mission that God has given us in Matthew 28, where we go and make disciples of all nations. That's the command that you've taken on in your baptism. Go and make disciples. How do we do that? We baptize and we teach everything in the name of that Jesus has taught us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are children of God, but you are also soldiers for Christ with a mission to go, to be loved, and to love by the one who sent you. Do you hear the call? You can answer. Do you hear the call? Yes. Do you hear the call? Yes. God's uniquely gifted you with today to use it all to his glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Now may the peace of Paris, all understanding guard our hearts and our lives in Christ Jesus. Amen.